uh, from the governor. Um, and then I'm gonna go into a little bit on what amenities should look like, uh, at least until the 27th of May. Um, and Travis is gonna jump in, talk about amenities also, uh, as well as what we could anticipate uh, after May 27th. Um, and if we have time, um, some meeting information and how those should be conducted. So uh, on April 26th, uh, Governor Polis issued his directive, uh, his executive order, um, limiting uh, gatherings of 10 or more persons, uh, encouraging people to telecommute, um, also outlined the opening of businesses throughout May um, with certain restrictions. Um, on May 1st, uh, Governor Polis permitted non-critical retail to allow customers to come in as long as they complied with mandatory social distancing. Um, May 4th was non-critical commercial businesses to allow 50% of their workforce uh, back into the business um, with social distancing requirements and protocols which are uh, gonna be outlined by the public health order. Um, <clears throat> the, public health, the public health order uh, was to outline mandatory social distancing requirements and protocols to be implemented, um, which they have done. Um, again, this order expires uh, on May 27th. And the reason why I'm gonna go over some of this stuff for businesses is because what you'll notice is that there's a common theme with everything that's reopening. Um, and it's something that the associations, managers, boards need to take into consideration when talking about amenities of an association. <clears throat> so the public health order, uh, which was issued on May 8th of 20, um, all individuals in the state of Colorado are encouraged to stay at home and, enjoy, and avoid unnecessary interaction whenever possible and comply with all social distancing requirements, okay? Um, individuals are urged to wear non-medical cloth face coverings um, when out in public. All public and private gatherings, public and private, are limited to no more than 10 individuals, uh, and this includes necessary activities. Individuals are encouraged to limit uh, travel to necessary travel, to and from businesses, critical government functionings, while complying with social distancing requirements. As you can see, there's a continued theme of these social distancing requirements, which is gonna be important for the amenity discussion. Um, now, recreation, when we're talking about amenities, um, we're talking about recreation, we're talking about pools, we're talking about clubhouses, we're talking about playgrounds, sometimes tennis courts and basketball courts. In the public health order, uh, it states that individuals may participate in local and personal recreation in outside public spaces as a necessary activity. The restrictions are in groups of no larger than 10 and practicing social distancing, maintaining six feet between individuals. Uh, playgrounds, playground equipment, pools, amusement parks, and arcades still remain closed. Okay, personal training is limited to a single member of a household or a mixed group of four or fewer. Uh, and, and mandatory social distancing requirements. <clears throat> So there is an exception um, that we've been getting some calls about. Um, it states that the restrictions don't apply to fitness centers and non-essential personal services included in residential facilities, such as hotels, apartments, or condominium complexes. 
that are limited to use only by guests or residents following social distancing requirements of at least six feet between individuals. Um, and that property managers are performing frequent environmental cleaning. Now that's that's also pretty important and we'll get to that in amenities. All of these restrict all of these um, openings have these restrictions in them. So in order for some of these non-critical businesses to open, which I would consider the association as one of those, um, the business has to deputize a workplace coordinator, okay, dealing with COVID-19 issues, maintain six-foot separation between people, clean and disinfect all high-touch areas, post signage, ensure proper ventilation, and avoid gatherings of more than 10 people. <clears throat> These are restrictions that I think that the association is going to be held to at least up until May 27th. As part of necessary activities, the public health order also states that basketball and tennis courts could be open. However, uh, the restrictions are um, a single individual or members of the same household. And so that's difficult to comply with, especially as an association. So that's a general overview of the public health order and the governor's executive order that's set to expire on May 27th. And why is that important? Uh, our recommendation, at least until May 27th, is that the amenities of the association should remain closed. That is pools, uh, fitness centers, tennis courts, basketball courts, uh, playgrounds, etc. cetera. Um, even if, now, many of these things are mandated to be closed anyway. Um, the Denver, uh, Denver has issued uh, several statements um, to neighboring associations within Denver County that states that the order does include pools of an association. Um, however, some associations wanna open up their fitness facility now, small gyms, et cetera. The problem with that is that the association is unable to comply with the restrictions set forth. In order to open those fitness facilities, um, you would have to mandate and prohibit any gatherings of more than 10 people. You'd have to um, police and enforce the six foot um, mandatory social distancing guidelines. Um, and while the association could probably effectively sanitize and clean enough to be compliant, um, there's still a risk. And so it's our recommendation right now that the amenities stay closed um, at, at the very least until May 27th when the governor is, is slated to come on um, and potentially relax the restrictions. Travis? Yeah, you know, I think in theory, if you had a small fitness center, you could potentially open it, but it would be very difficult. I think you would basically have to have an on-site manager there. Uh, and I'm generalizing, of course, most of the on-site fitness centers in the associations we deal with are relatively small. So to enforce the six-foot distancing requirement, you would likely have to set up a schedule where 
And Travis, if I can jump in, um, you know, we can talk all day about um, if somebody's going to sue, uh, if, you know, if they get sick uh, or if uh, the county, city or state is going to issue a citation, um, whether, whether or not those are upheld or whether or not they win, um, what we're trying to avoid is getting the citations and having that fight initially. What we're trying to avoid is the association getting sued um, because somebody gets sick. Uh, Travis and I had a discussion before this about, you know, if somebody actually did uh, bring a lawsuit because they got sick in, a, in an association-related amenity, you know, would they win? The likelihood of them winning is probably not very great um, for a variety of reasons that we're not going to get into now. But we want to avoid the whole lawsuit to begin with. And so if, you know, if the association opens an amenity, doesn't follow the protocols very strictly, and somebody gets sick, while that person might not be able to prove it was the association that got them sick, they can point to the fact that the association wasn't following the protocols and at least have a good faith basis to bring the lawsuit. And we don't want to enter that arena. Um, same thing with the government restrictions and enforceability. Um, you know, whether or not we ultimately win that fight at the end of the day, um, if the association who opens an amenity and doesn't follow protocols gets a citation, that is a long and costly process um, to go through. And depending on the severity of, you know, the penalty, um, it may be something that the association has to fight and spend a lot of money. As you can see, they, they are enforcing um, the protocols in whatever way they can. If everybody saw the news, they saw that down in Colorado Springs, I believe, they yanked the business license um, of that cafe who violated the governor's orders. Um, they also got slapped with a penalty. Now that has to do with some business licensure and, and otherwise, but you know, the associations are nonprofit corporations um, re registered with the state and certainly can, they'll find a way to penalize if they can. So these are best practices um, that we're trying to keep the associations out of trouble um, and, not, and not open their amenities too quickly. Um, you know, a, a good rule of thumb and something that I've said to many associations is, um, you know, a good indicator of when to open the amenities is when the city, state, and counties open their amenities, when they open their fitness facilities and their pool facilities. Um, and then at that point, looking at what protocols they are using and they're mandated to use um, in order to stay open and how they're policing that. And if the associations feel comfortable um, that they, they can comply with those protocols, then the discussion about opening the amenities could be had. Um, but, you know, as I said in the beginning, this is really a fluid situation. Um, you know, on May 26th, May 27th, Governor Polis can get on and say that the, the number of cases have spiked um, and we're reverting back instead of moving forward. Um, and that would prolong amenity closures. Um, if he moves forward, which I think everybody's anticipating with in, in opening up more things and relaxing the, the restrictions even further, then we have to take a look at that executive order, the public health order that follows, do an analysis on what the restrictions are and the protocols are in the public health order, 
and then have a discussion with the associations based on their individual circumstances and whether or not they can follow those protocols and they feel comfortable with that. Travis? Yeah, and uh, one thing I thought I'd discuss a little bit is pools. And I know not every community has a pool, but uh, it's that time of year when those that do have pools are thinking about opening them up and what that might look like. So, and a lot of this that I'm about to discuss is also applicable to other amenities too. So, and if anybody has a question, feel free to, to speak up. So, when thinking about whether to open your pool, first and foremost, you have to analyze whether you can comply with the applicable public health orders that are in place. And as we were discussing, you know, a lot of the social distancing measures we expect to be in place for a long time, you know, six feet distancing between people, uh, gatherings are limited to no more than 10 people. Uh, I think that is probably going to stay in place uh, even after this current order expires. So uh, there's a number of things that I think you can try to do to in order to open a pool. Um, now this is all kind of premised on the fact that the, the Center for Disease Control says there's no evidence that the virus can spread through pool water. Um, and you know that's of course assuming that it's properly disinfected. So you want to make sure that if you do have a pool that you're planning on opening that you are disinfecting it properly, that you have a good contract perhaps with a third-party vendor who's qualified to oversee that program of disinfecting the pool. Because if you fail to disinfect the pool properly, you could be in a whole lot of trouble. So that's, I think, one of the most important things to keep in mind if you want to open a pool. You also want to consider whether you have good insurance coverage. You might want to have your attorney look at the general liability and directors and officers insurance policies to see what exclusions might prevent coverage if there's a case of community transmission in your community. Uh, some policies have exclusions for, you know, bacteria and, and viruses. So you want to know what kind of coverage you have before you make those decisions. Also, as I mentioned earlier, you, you might need to implement some kind of scheduling. If you're trying to limit the number of people who can gather at a pool, uh, you, you may need to have a reservation system. You also may want to remove some of the furniture so that people who do come to the pool and lay their stuff down on a chair are adequately spaced. I think also it would be a good idea if you're opening a pool to close other amenities that support the pool like bathrooms and rest or changing rooms. Uh, you know, require that people come in their pool attire and leave in their pool attire if you're going to open a pool. Also, I think it's probably best to prohibit 
residents from bringing guests to a pool. And that would probably require that you update your rules and regulations and also uh, be a good idea to post some signage to that effect. There's also been discussion as to whether associations should or could require owners or residents to sign a waiver in order to use a pool or another amenity once it is opened up. And that's a decision that you should discuss with your attorney. Uh, you may need to review your, your governing documents to he see how strong the residents and owners' rights are to use those amenities and, and what the extent of the board's discretion is to close them and to limit access. But a, a waiver, I think, you know, is not a cure-all. There's certain things you can't waive. And you wouldn't know that from reading some waivers. A lot of waivers that you see purport to waive anything and everything under the sun. But in Colorado, you can only waive claims for common negligence. That's just your you know, basic run-of-the-mill negligence. You know, for, forgot to you know, put the gas cap back on the, the, the gas tank kind of thing. Uh, you, you cannot waive claims for gross negligence or willful or wanton behavior. So if you were to have residents execute a waiver, you know, waiving their right to sue the association uh, for any injury they might suffer from using the pool, but the association fails to follow the uh, health orders that are in place, that likely would constitute a willful and wanton uh, tort on the association's behalf. And, and that waiver isn't going to protect you if you fail to comply with the public health order's requirements. Nonetheless, uh, a waiver you know, probably wouldn't hurt when things do start to open up a bit more. Uh, I also say that if you're going to open your pool, you should eliminate all the extracurricular activities that you might have had in years past, like swim lessons or, or swim team. Those kinds of organized activities, I think, should be put on hiatus until next year at least. You also may want to consider intermittent cleanings during the day when you're open. So could think of it as, as kind of like the adult swim except it's you know cleaning time everybody get out of the pool everybody you know get off of the pool furniture and you have perhaps the lifeguard go through and, and disinfect everything maybe once twice maybe three times a day also remove any unnecessary items that people might touch or share. So, you know, if you have a stockpile of, of noodles for your pool, you probably want to get rid of those uh, so that people aren't sharing the same items back and forth. Even though some of those items may be going in and out of the pool where in theory the pool water is disinfected, uh, it's better, I think, to just get the extraneous stuff out of the area uh, 
so that you reduce the risk for transmission. Does anybody have any questions about uh, the, the pool stuff? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, this is Lenny Landis. I'm kind of the uh, maintenance coordinator at the Lanai condo, and I'm also a resident. So we have three areas of concern. Uh, one is uh, we have a common meeting room that people uh, gather, and then we have uh, a library, uh, both up on the 12th floor. The meeting room is uh, you know, open to residents uh, normally. Uh, it has sliding patio doors on either end, so you know those can be opened and, and there, there'd be plenty of ventilation. Um, but uh, you were saying earlier, if we do allow people to use this, that we'd have to restrict it to one person at a time or one family at a time for an area like that. Well, I was generalizing um, you know, based upon a, a lot of the fitness rooms or fitness centers you see in. That, that was the second area. So we also have a fitness room about the same size up there. Yeah, you know, the meeting room, you, you maybe could be a, a little bit more relaxed, I think, than the fitness center. Um, you know, the fitness center where people are breathing heavily and sweating I think you know and also moving around from you know one piece of equipment to another it would be really difficult and just unrealistic to expect that you let you know two people in there and that they're going to maintain an appropriate distance from each other as they're using the the different equipment I now, find point at the line they don't sweat they glit them <laughs> right so so your recommendation what you had mentioned before again is like one person or a small family group uh, but also we would need someone to monitor that almost continuously right you would need to monitor that somehow uh not that you need to post a sentry at the door but you know maybe you have a, a sign-up sheet and you know that you have to schedule a time. If you have the ability to lock that door and you know only have those people who, who have signed up, you know, come down to the uh, manager's office and pick up a key at the appointed time, you know, that would be one way of controlling admission into that room. Uh, you know, it, you implement a restriction, you, you have to think about how are you going to enforce it. So it's, it's one thing to just say, okay, only, you know, a single household unit can use the uh, fitness center at a time. If you just say that and don't do anything to enforce it, that could be problematic. So you have to think about your specific situation and circumstances and, and have a plan for enforcing the restrictions that you want to put in place. Now the meeting room, I, I think you can perhaps be a, a little more lenient on, uh, you know, you're allowed to have gatherings of up to 10 people, uh, but still it, it would make me nervous to just leave the meeting room open 
and allow anybody and everybody to, to come use it at their own discretion. Travis, if I could jump in. The the library is an interesting one too. Um, I've had a couple associations that had those uh, street side libraries um, that have the boxes. It's sort of like a book exchange. Um, and my recommendation has been to close those and keep those closed. Um, and as I said earlier, follow the, the city, counties and states on when they're opening their libraries um, and what protocols they're using because quite honestly, nobody knows with the exchange of books and paper and touching nobody knows really how long the virus is staying on surfaces um, and if you allow one family you can't really clean books with disinfectant if you allow one family in uh, they have they get some books they bring some books back um, you, you don't know how long that's going to stay on there um, and so my recommendation to those who've had little book libraries um, is just to close those off uh, until the libraries reopen in the state and see what protocols or cleaning mandates they're using um, to keep people from getting infected. One other, one other point I wanted to jump on uh, before I forget. You know, we're talking about amenities, we're talking about pools, um, pools mainly. Um, a lot of associations have contracts with pool vendors, okay? I've been doing a lot of evaluating on contracts with pool vendors. If you're delaying the opening, are you subject to liability under the contract? Um, most contracts that I've been seeing with pool vendors, um, they have a 30-day out clause where you could cancel the contract or uh, they bill for services rendered. And so if you, if you keep the pool closed and they don't render any services, um, there's no payment due. Um, I would highly recommend uh, that you have your attorney look at those contracts uh, to make sure that the association's not in breach of any contract if they're keeping those amenities closed. Sorry, Travis, go ahead. No. Uh, yeah, and that's a good point. I've, I've looked at a couple contracts also, and uh, it does seem that at least the contracts I've looked at, the pool vendors are being pretty reasonable and modifying those contracts if necessary. Uh, and you know, even if your contract doesn't have a termination clause, there's a possibility that you could get out of a, a pool maintenance contract based upon the uh, force majeure principle which says that some you know unanticipated event essentially nullifies the need for this contract uh, that and this event was you know beyond the expectations of, of either party that entered the contract at the time so uh, if that's an issue certainly reach out to your attorney and we can take a look at it discuss the situation with you and uh, decide on an appropriate way forward to deal with that so uh, I wanted to, sorry, go ahead, yeah. uh, so the third area was the pool. And so I just want to confirm there is no law saying the pool has to be closed, but the order uh, says that, you know, we would have to continuously monitor, uh, restrict the, the number of people. We'd have to clean it uh, several times a day. Is that well, correct? No, pool must stay closed until at least May 26th. Oh, okay. Thank you. And that that is 
very clear at this point, and a, a lot of this discussion was just speculating as to what it might look like after May 26, on, on May 27th, assuming that the next order that comes out allows you to open a pool uh, under certain circumstances. And um, so, yeah, no pools right now at all. I'm glad you asked, Lenny. I should have been clearer about that. So lastly, I'll, I'll touch upon meetings very quickly. I, I don't want to take up much more of anybody's time, but uh, meetings are, are certainly challenging. I mean, we're all kind of learning as we go uh, how to conduct meetings and, and business over the internet when uh, oftentimes we were doing it face-to-face. -face. Uh, the Colorado Revised Nonprofit Act does give you some tools to help you conduct meetings electronically if you choose to do so. Uh, so for example, board meetings, if you're having a board meeting, you can conduct it electronically. And as long as every board member can hear the other board members and can be heard by the other board members, then that board member is, is considered to be in attendance. So you can have your board meetings electronically. I think the biggest challenge is to make sure that you comply with the open meeting requirements and allow owners to attend. So obviously it's easy enough to send the, the link out, you know, the GoToMeeting link or the Zoom meeting link to your email list. But what about those people who are not on your association's email list? You have to notify them somehow, whether that's through a individual piece of mail, including something in your newsletter, uh, posting something physically at the property. If you have, you know, a, a single entry point where you know everybody's going to be able to see the physical posting. So you want to adhere to the open meeting requirements and allow owners to participate, allow them to attend, allow them to make a comment before the board votes on a particular issue. So I think that's the biggest challenge in, in conducting board meetings electronically. Yes, David. It's, uh, is it not okay just to post it on their website, the meeting date and time? Yeah, you could post it on the website. Um, you, you should post it physically somewhere if practicable is, is what Kiowa says. Um, you know, the, the more posting the better, you know, send out an email, post it on the website. Okay. You know, maybe maybe do a mailing to say, hey, look, <clears throat> for the foreseeable future, we'll be, you know, conducting meetings electronically, and, and you know, they'll be on the third Wednesday of the month, and it'll be on, you know, this platform. And if you want to receive the meeting invitation each month, you need to email us here. Uh, you know, just do everything you reasonably can to to make sure that you're as open and transparent as possible because you will get complaints. I mean, I, I've, I've gotten complaints from people saying, hey, you know, old people can't use technology, so this is not fair to them. It's like, well, come on. You know, it's, it's the elderly people that we're really trying to protect right now. And, you know, they probably wouldn't be able to come to an in-person meeting anyway. Or, or at least shouldn't be coming to an in-person meeting. So, 
you know, we're, do, we're doing the best we can. Uh, <clears throat> we're looking at it as Lenny Gold, and he's on here. Damien's <laughs> 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 here too, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, our, our colleague Mike Land though couldn't make it. He's a uh, he's the old man of the group, so we'll have to give him some remedial technological training. But uh, and of course, you know, you can uh, you can take action without a board meeting under the nonprofit act. You have to follow a pretty specific protocol. Send out an email that has a deadline for the board to respond, and the email has to state the proposed action clearly. Uh, give a deadline for a, a yes or no response and also inform all the board members that if any one of them wants to table the proposed action until the next meeting that they need to let everybody know before the deadline for response and then the actions table uh, you know annual meetings presented some other challenges you uh, can under the nonprofit act also hold an annual meeting of the members electronically basically under the same theory that you hold a board meeting electronically. As long as everybody participating can hear each other, then everybody's deemed present. Uh, <clears throat> that said, it, at annual meetings, oftentimes you are electing members of the board. And Kiowa requires that that be done by a secret ballot. So, you know, you have to figure out how you're gonna do that. We're currently looking at, at some different software to, to see, you know, what capabilities those softwares have that might enable people to do a secret ballot at an electronic meeting. Uh, we, we haven't found one that we can endorse as of this point, uh, but we're still looking at it. And if anybody, you know, is looking at, at anything in that regard on, on their own, and has questions about it and wants us to take a look at it, feel free to, to let us know. Hey, Travis, just just a, a side note on that. This morning, we got an update. Uh, we've been working on software, as Travis said, that would enable you to have an annual meeting um, and count quorum, as well as participation, and also have um, secret ballot votes, okay? And what we found is a software that provides each user a unique identifier. And so those, um, and, and if anybody's ever used SurveyMonkey or any other type of voting software, um, this actually combines a go-to meeting type meeting with that type of software and uses voting by unique identifiers. And so um, we're in the testing phase and just I advise you to check back uh, in a few weeks to see where we're at um, and then if it's all successful and what it's hyped up to be, we'll be able to roll that out and annual meetings could be done that way. That's awesome. Okay. Sorry, Travis. Not at all. Um, the Nonprofit Act does also provide a mechanism for owners, members to, to vote by written ballot in lieu of a vote at a meeting. Uh, that also comes with its own set of hurdles you have to overcome. I mean, a, a lot of governing documents will kind of take that ability away it is you know, one issue. Uh, your, the Nonprofit Act says you can take action by written ballot unless otherwise provided in the bylaws. And sometimes the bylaws have pretty specific language about how the, the vote for directors is supposed to take place. 
and it may be that the vote is supposed to happen at a meeting and you're supposed to allow nominations from the floor. You know, it's pretty hard to allow nominations from the floor uh, when you are taking action by, you know, mail-in ballot. So it's a really fact-specific situation for each association to, you know, look at the governing documents, see what restrictions are in your governing documents, compare those to what the Nonprofit Act allows, and see what you can get done without resorting to your traditional full-fledged in-person meeting. So I, I think that's uh, that's about it for me. If anybody has any questions or Damien, if you have anything to add, uh, speak now or forever hold your peace. I have one question just uh, looking forward to the uh, 27th. Should we have another meeting like this uh, after the 27th to find out? what the new rules are? Sure, I think we'll be doing this again. Uh, we'll probably try to schedule something in the next couple of weeks and we'll send that invitation out to all of you. Travis, um, where do you find the public or health order information? Is that online somewhere? Yes, um, and it's not too hard to find, but if it's you- it's public health order 20-28. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you do a Google search for Colorado public health order 20-28, you should get a, a link to it pretty easily. Um, you know, if you Google public health orders, often the top search results are like summary sheets that you know, give you a, the basics but don't really give you the full order, but uh, if you go to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environments website, that's where the actual order is. Uh, and if you Google public health order 2028, it should be one of the top results there. If you're having difficulty finding it, just send an email and we can shoot you a copy. And, and we can, actually, I think we can just email a copy out to the entire list of attendees uh, without much problem. So we'll go ahead and do that. Okay, thank you. Does anyone else have any other questions? Comments? Going once, going twice. All right, thanks for attending everybody. Thank you. Stay safe everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you.